you know, we kind of suspected he was going to resign, but yeah, maybe not. What's so much more difficult now is the demands on a journalist. Those are the words of two veteran journalists who covered impeachment going back 45 years. We'll hear from them and a current journalist on the Trump inquiry, plus a look at the role of women and a Ukrainian-American's perspective. Hello and welcome to The Wash, a special edition podcast we call The Impeachment Inquiry of Donald J. Trump. I'm Cami Gregorian. And I'm Courtney Jacobs, coming to you from the School of Communication Graduate Journalism Program at American University in Washington, D.C. This is the first public impeachment hearing in 20 years. And for nearly a quarter century, the voice of NPR News was Bob Edwards on All Things Considered and Morning Edition. The respected interviewer got a first-hand look at history, starting from his graduate school education at American University here in Washington, D.C. We'll talk with him and other journalists who covered the impeachment scandals of Presidents Nixon, Clinton, and Trump. They all happen to be graduates from the School of Communication. In 1974, the 37th president resigned from office. I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. And with those words, the disgraced president leaves office just before the House of Representatives begin a formal impeachment. Our Mariah Espinoza talked with former NPR host Bob Edwards about impeachment scandals of the past, beginning with the resignation of Richard Milhouse Nixon. The impeachment involved a break-in to a Democratic Party headquarters at the Watergate Hotel and the subsequent cover-up. Bob talks about the beginnings of Watergate. Over the course of Watergate, I was in three different places. I was at WTOP when it was considered just a local break-in at the Watergate office building. Uh, and I was doing local news, obviously, but I was at the mutual broadcasting system at the time of the Saturday night massacre when Nixon fired the special prosecutor, Archibald Cox, and the attorney general and his deputy resigned that night. And then by the time of the Nixon resignation, I was at NPR and did the one minute talk up that they allow you uh, before a presidential speech. And I remember the the tension because we didn't, you know, we kind of suspected he was going to resign, but maybe not. So we had to be very careful about what we said going into that speech. But it was an amazing, amazing night and a culmination of events that had lasted uh, over the course of a couple of years. So what was the media's reaction to the resignation, since you said that many weren't even expecting that to happen? Well, it was shocking. I mean, not that the fact that this thing had finally ended the way it had, but, but just the idea of an impeachment, uh, since it had only happened once before, and it had been you know, about a century earlier, so long ago. Um, and the, the fact that this was happening in the modern era was rather shocking, but um, his guilt or innocence had been discussed so often and um, uh, by so many over the course of two years that I think it was kind of a relief to everyone to finally have it uh, wind up and uh, have the country return to normal business. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was incredible then, though, was the, 
you know, you didn't have this extreme polarization of the country that you have today. Right. You had some Republicans who thought uh, that Nixon was guilty and, and were troubled by his behavior in the White House. Uh, the Republican leaders in the Congress, joined by Barry Goldwater, the most conservative member of Congress, went to Nixon at the White House and urged him um, to consider what was what the damage that was being done to the country and uh, told him that he would probably be impeached if he did not resign. And so he did. So President Nixon had a combative relationship with the press. Do you see any similarities with President Trump on press relations? Uh, by degrees, it's much more extreme. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, most presidents don't like the press. Uh, Nixon, it was very clear he didn't like the press. But with Trump, it, you know, Nixon never called the press the enemy of the people. Um, that's Trump. And Trump has absolute contempt for uh, the media. And with Nixon, it was just, you know, kind of gritting through his teeth and mm-hmm. <laughs> saying, I don't like those people. It's a whole different deal. You know, so there are some days I think Trump would like put us all in prison. You know? But um, it, it's a whole different thing. But yeah, there are, there are some similarities, of course. Um, uh, in both cases, it's uh, the charges, uh, and there are no official charges yet in, in the Trump's case. But they will involve abuse of power and obstruction of justice, and that's what Nixon was charged with, you know, as opposed to the uh, the Clinton case, which is completely different from either one. Mm-hmm. With him, it was lying about sex. Let's talk about the House vote for a second. Yes, the House uh, Judiciary Committee held hearings on uh, impeachment. Uh, the Senate had already held investigative uh, hearings. Um, so the, you know, the whole process uh, with Nixon uh, had a couple of years of uh, development. Um, so the House voted on articles impeach- of impeachment, and there were specific articles. Um, and so it never got to the full House of Representatives. There was no vote on the floor of the House for impeachment. Mm-hmm. That's what Nixon was avoiding. He did not want the you know, ignominy of, of being impeached, the first president since uh, Andrew Johnson to be impeached. So that's what he was avoiding by resigning. Uh, I think it was a far-gone conclusion, though, that he would have been impeached and convicted. And that is certainly why he resigned. Right. So is there something different in how press relations at the White House was handled in Nixon's day versus how it's handled now? An extraordinary difference. Um, Richard Nixon's press secretary was Ron Ziegler. And when it was all over, Ron Ziegler apologized uh, to the Washington Post Mm -hmm. and specifically to um, Carl Bernstein and, and Bob Woodward. Uh, and he, he apologized for his overzealousness. He had called it a third-rate burglary. He had said their reporting was, um, you know, too intense and unfair. And he learned otherwise and and apologized. I mean, you can imagine anyone in the Trump White House apologizing 
to the press for statements they had made. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, they lie. It's very clear they lie. Um, And this would have been such an outrage before Trump that a press secretary would lie on behalf of the president. Mm -hmm. In this case, the president is clearly lying, something I never had to say in 50 years of journalism. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States is lying. Thank God I'm out of the game now. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that is nothing unusual anymore. The president lies, so the press secretary lies for the president uh, to be consistent. Um, And, you know, doesn't want to be contradicting uh, the president by correcting the lie. Mm-hmm. An extraordinary thing. And that, that, you know, the whole press um, with the president thing has just been turned on, on its head. It's upside down. Uh, and it's a very sad, sad case. You know, it's so funny that you say that because I was actually going to ask you, would you say that the president lied today if you were a journalist? So, I mean, that completely answers that question. But um, Yeah, you don't want to. You know, you want to be detached. You want to be uh, nonpartisan. But are you irresponsible then by not pointing out that, that the president's words are at odds with the truth, I think? I think you have to as a reporter. That's your job, and it's unfortunate. Another School of Communication alum who covered impeachment was television and radio reporter Jackie Judd. Judd worked for 16 years as a correspondent for ABC's World News Tonight with Peter Jennings for Nightline and for Good Morning America. The Emmy Award-winning journalist covered the impeachment of President William Jefferson Clinton and talked with our Alyssa Royster about the differences in impeachment politics, and media from the past and today. There are some very significant differences between the Clinton impeachment and the Trump impeachment. I mean, just at the beginning, at the starting point, uh, of course, there was an independent counsel, Ken Starr. He was outside of Congress, and he actually built a case and delivered it to Congress. Whereas in this case, it has been the Senate or the House Intelligence Committee that has built the case from the inside. Also, another difference is the nature of what's being investigated. With President Clinton, it had to do with personal behavior and whether he disgraced the office of the presidency. The charges, as you know, were obstruction and perjury related to personal behavior related to whether he uh, lied under oath. The Trump impeachment is playing out on a much larger stage, international relationships, et cetera, national security issues. So that's, that is a very big difference. Another one I would cite is it was kind of a badge of honor for the Clinton White House to say, during the impeachment proceedings, this is not affecting the business of the people. This is not affecting the business of government. We are compartmentalizing it. We're blocking it off. We are moving ahead with our agenda. And President Clinton pretty much stuck to that mantra. President Trump, of course, is playing a very, very different game here. He is obviously deeply involved. He is tweeting out in real time as the hearings are going on. 
So there is no compartmentalization in the Trump White House. Finally, I would say the other significant difference is there is social media today, and there really effectively wasn't 20, 21 years ago. And so information is being churned out more quickly, greater volume. It's kind of flooding the zone, I would say. And what we don't know is how is that affecting the American public's view of the proceedings and of the president. Uh, That didn't occur in 98, 99. What the public basically had then is what happened in the hearings. But there is a lot more for Americans now to digest. What's so much more difficult now is the demands on a journalist. When I was reporting this story, there was actually time to report because my responsibilities were to file for the evening news. There was certainly no Twitter. Uh, There wasn't this constant fire hydrant of information being spewed out and provided by journalists. So in that way, I think it was easier to cover the story. There were just fewer demands because there were fewer outlets. And it was, as I say, there was more time to, in a deliberative way, to report the story. The Nixon impeachment came very early in the career of SOC alum Deborah Potter. The distinguished broadcaster worked for 16 years as a correspondent for CBS News and CNN. We spoke with her about the experience as a young journalist. At that time, I was working for a local television station here in Washington, D.C., and I was the producer of the noon newscast. Um, I had done that through the Watergate hearings, and when the resignation came, um, you know, we were covering it like everybody else, but for us it was a local story, not a national story. Back in 1972, a whopping 93% of the nation's newspapers endorsed Nixon for president. But Mr. Nixon held a deep distrust of media and considered them the enemy. Potter says whether you are a citizen or a journalist, keeping up on all the fast-moving events is vital. Well, I just think that we're living through an extraordinary time. And I certainly knew that in my 20s when I was living through Watergate as a beginning journalist. And I think you know it now. Um, It's something to pay attention to. Um, It's something to follow and to try to understand. Um, even if you think you'll never cover politics in your life, it's, it's an extraordinary opportunity to, to live through this and to see these hearings on television if you possibly can. Uh, see them for yourself. Don't, uh, don't spend too much time on Twitter or uh, listening to the recaps, but actually watch them. Make your own decisions based on what you see. Um, and, and recognize that um, you know, 40 years from now, someone will say, so what was it like when President Trump faced impeachment? While impeachment hearings have occurred twice in a quarter century, it's a new experience for many of the younger journalists now covering the Trump impeachment inquiry. Steve Dorsey works for CBS Radio here in Washington, D.C., and he's been covering all the twists and turns. Steve is also an SOC alum. And I know this is your first professional experience in reporting on an impeachment So can you describe what that was like today? Yeah, well, I've been reporting on impeachment since this whole process began back in August. But the last two weeks especially have been very busy with the public impeachment hearings. And it's been an exhausting whirlwind, I think, not just for me as a reporter in Washington covering the impeachment hearing, but all the technical support staff, producers, special events folks who are running the show in New York, 
and it's tough to keep up with the flow of information. Uh, the amount of testimony crammed into a short time, and then this is all butted up against Thanksgiving recess, uh, that Christmas recess, and then you have on top of all this the presidential campaign for 2020. So there's so much going on, and to be able to digest it is hard. And also in my reports, trying to synthesize so much information and names of figures that people have never heard of before and get them to understand it and care about it if they don't live inside the Washington bubble. If they're out in Kansas City, I have to make it easy for them to understand because they've got other things going on in their life. And this is just an update about what's going on in Washington right now. Okay, so did others who might have covered previous impeachments, did they give you any advice regarding today? Well, no one's really given me a lot of advice, but they have shared with me how different this impeachment process is compared to the Clinton impeachment process. I was just a kid. I was in elementary school back then. I have some memories of it, but not a whole lot. And they talk about how challenging this one is because there's so much nuance in it. And back when we had the public hearings in the Clinton impeachment inquiry, there were salacious sexual details. This is more about process. This is more about uh, constitutional powers allegedly being abused. And that's a lot less compelling on TV and on the radio, especially when we talk about all day impeachment hearings and highlights of them uh, and how challenging it is to help get help Americans appreciate the process. And Steve Dorsey's boss, CBS News president Susan Zarinsky, is also an SOC alum. She covered the Watergate hearings in her college years, giving a big start to a big media career. Just ahead, a new role for women in impeachment and a conversation with a Ukrainian-American. You are listening to The Impeachment of Donald J. Trump. This is the first time women have been deeply ingrained in the impeachment process. Our Elise Dean spoke with Betsy Fisher-Martin about the new role of women in politics. Martin is an Emmy-winning journalist and the executive director of the Women in Politics Institute at American University. This is the third formal impeachment inquiry in the U.S., and women no longer serve as just witnesses on the sidelines. Now, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is making the decisions. Therefore, today, I'm announcing the House of Representatives moving forward with an official impeachment inquiry. And New York Republican Elise Stefanik is a strategic player for the Republican Party. Did Ukraine open investigation into the Bidens, Mr. Morrison? Not to my knowledge, ma'am. Ambassador Volker? Uh, not to my knowledge either. Did either of you ever have any evidence of quid pro quo, Mr. Morrison? <laughs> no, ma'am. Ambassador Volker? I did not. Any evidence of bribery? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Any evidence of treason? No, ma'am. No evidence of treason. Betsy Fisher-Martin is an award-winning journalist. For many years, she was an executive producer of NBC's Meet the Press, working alongside the legendary Tim Russert. She's also an American University alum who now runs the Women in Politics Institute at American University. Fisher-Martin says the role of women in the Clinton impeachment inquiry looked much different. But the players initially in impeachment, obviously, um, were very focused, male-focused um, on the prosecution 
of the case, and the females were essentially the <laughs> the uh, witnesses in the trial. But Monica Lewinsky, Linda Tripp, uh, Lucy Lucy Ann Goldberg. You know, the the women that were sort of front and center in that impeachment inquiry were sort of in the middle of the whole uh, issue, but not governing from the point of of Congress. But now that women do play a role on the governing side of the inquiry, some pay a price by being bullied on social media. The president attacked the former Ukrainian ambassador when she testified on Capitol Hill. Ambassador Marie Ivanovich said she felt intimidated. But Fisher Martin says Trump's attacks on women is nothing new. If you went back and looked at all the times he bullied somebody on Twitter, my guess is that it would it would actually be probably a little bit more female. But, I mean, the same thing happens, you know, with members of the press corps that he doesn't like. You know, he calls them out very specifically on Twitter. Somebody like Maggie Haberman, for example, uh, of The New York Times. But women aren't just involved in making legislative decisions or giving testimonies anymore. Women are also making their voting decisions based on the impeachment inquiry. Fisher Martin says this inquiry could ultimately sway which way female voters will lean. These impeachment proceedings are certainly resonating with actually women voters um, across the country. And, you know, there's certainly a number of polls that have shown that um, women are, you know, far more likely than men to kind of to actually consider Trump's actions uh, worthy of impeachment. Other key female players in the impeachment inquiry include former presidential advisor Fiona Hill, Elise Dean, Washington. Ukraine is a major player in the impeachment inquiry. White House aide Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman is a Ukrainian-American who testified before Congress this week. Republicans challenged the patriotism of this soldier who received a purple star for his service. In an emotional defense, he sent a message to his father, who brought him to this country as a child. Dad, I'm sitting here today in the U.S. Capitol talking to our elected professionals Talking to our elected professionals is proof that you made the right decision 40 years ago to leave the Soviet Union and come here to the United States of America in search of a better life for our family. Do not worry. I will be fine for telling the truth. The impeachment scandal has Ukraine very much in the headlines. So we asked a Ukrainian-American his perspective. Leona Dunn reports. Ukraine separated from the Soviet Union, a Russian empire back in 1991. Being the largest non-Russian republic a part of the Union, its independence was a huge part of the empire dissolving. Ukrainian policy expert Oris Dechakuski told us why Ukraine then became so important to the United States. It's in our national interest and it's Europe's interest to have an independent democratic Ukraine, a country with 40 plus million people and, and sizable land size and economy, etc., etc. Dechakuski's parents were Ukrainian, but he was born and raised in the United States. Yet his natural interest in advocacy brought him back to his parents' native country. One of the countries I handled was always Ukraine. And actually, even since retiring, just this year I was in Ukraine twice. Once was observing the presidential elections where President Zelensky won. And then for the RADA elections, and the RADA is their parliament. In fact, notice that the infamous phone call was mm-hmm. a few days later, you know. So now that you brought up the notorious phone call, I was reading an article you wrote in the Ukrainian Weekly. And in the mm-hmm. article, you said, count me among the extreme skeptics 
for many reasons when referring to if Trump's decision was based upon a genuine concern about Ukraine's corruption. Do you believe that it wasn't based on corruption? I know corruption is all we're hearing about Ukraine these days in the news when it comes to um, our impeachment. You're absolutely right. Trump has never been a friend of Ukraine. Back even in 2016 when he was running for office, he was saying almost taking, I forget exact words, but kind of like implying that, yeah, maybe Crimea is Russian, or which really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't want to conflate President Trump, as we're seeing right now, is not the rest of the national security establishment or even Congress. Congress, on a bipartisan basis, especially in the last five, six years, come to supporting Ukraine, especially in its fight against corruption and, you know, trying to help it become democratic and, you know, rule of law and all that. Congress has been very supportive of Ukraine. You say that you have also been in contact with numerous people and officials in Ukraine. Uh, Can you give me a little perspective on what people over there are thinking about this entire impeachment process and with it dealing directly with Ukraine? You know, Zelensky, the president, foreign minister, and others basically are saying, please, we're very grateful to you for your help, but please leave us out of this, uh, is the basic message I hear, including from some of my friends who are Ukraine's diplomats, which I completely sympathize with them on that. You know, they didn't expect that all... All they want is, you know, continued help in fighting Russia, an aggressive, uh, a continually and ongoing aggressive Russia. The former Ukrainian policy advisor didn't share with us his thoughts on the impeachment, but he did let us know how he feels about the president. Trump is Trump. He is the president, but he doesn't reflect the thinking of America's foreign policy and national security establishment, you know, uh, if you will. Leona Dunn, Washington. While much of the nation is watching the impeachment hearing at home or online, hundreds of people in the Washington area are outside the Capitol hoping for an inside seat to see lawmakers at work. Taylor Audrey reports from Capitol Hill. On this critical day of testimony, some people camped out on the National Mall for a chance to get into the public impeachment hearings lining up as early as 3 a.m. Journalism graduate students studying in Washington, D.C. are among those waiting in line. Austin Ramsey got in line at 7 a.m. I thought that that would be plenty early enough, but uh, it's not looking great for me to get in, at least in the in the first pass. He says he feels lucky to be a graduate student in the nation's capital. While we are in school, revelations from a whistleblower resulted in an impeachment inquiry that's ongoing and we have this chance to, to be in the room where it happens. We have this chance to put our feet in the same place as a select few from around the world. That's also true for grad student Shab Dinesh. You're where the action is and um, yeah, I, I I feel energized when I when I come when I come to the when I come to the hill. I, I don't mind getting up early. Taylor Ardry, Washington. This has been a special podcast edition of The Wash, the impeachment inquiry of Donald J. Trump, produced by the American University Graduate Journalism Program. Special thanks to our School of Communication alums. Our team members, executive producers Cyanna Buschetti and Kayla Clark. 
Our reporters, Elise Dean, Alyssa Royster, Mariah Espinosa, Cami Gregorian, Taylor Ardry, and Leona Dunn. Our anchors, Courtney Jacobs and Cami Gregorian. Board operators, Molly Fazer and Ikechiku Mbagwu. Music theme by Kevin McLeod via Creative Commons. I'm SOC Professor Jill Olmsted. Thanks for joining us.